0: Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. I think that's too much energy to start with. 20% less.
1: Okay. (coughs) Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion. Uh,
0: I don't think that was it either. 5% either direction.
1: Either direction? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion.
0: Let's do that one, let's do that one.
1: Can you just let me do it? Just let me do it. (laughs) Okay. Hello, I'm Jason Concepcion.
0: And I'm Shea Serrano. We have a podcast coming out. It's called The Connect, and it's cool.
1: Each week, Shay and I will talk about two movies and the theme that connects them. For example, for our debut episode, which comes out July 22nd, the theme is work friends. I'm talking about 1999's Office Space. It's about three friends who work at a technology company.
0: And I'm talking about 1983 Scarface, which is about two best friends just trying to make their way to the top of Miami's very competitive cocaine industry.
1: Another theme we'll have is mean mentors.
0: I'm talking about fletcher from whiplash jason's talking about miranda from the devil wears prada
1: another theme how about matthew mcconaughey doesn't understand <laughs> outer space
0: i'm talking about contact jason is talking about interstellar
1: and yet another theme oh man why'd you do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking about juice jason's talking about ladybird
1: there are categories and bits and contests it's a whole thing and it's going to be great or it's going to be terrible i don't know But I'm excited to find out.
0: Me too. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, media consumers. You've got the Press Box. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer here. We got a lot of stuff for you today. With three days till the start of Major League Baseball season, we'll talk about the absolutely strange position sports media types find themselves in as they cover the sports restart. Are we supposed to root for a flawed comeback or root for keeping our jobs? Next, we'll talk to Sports Illustrated writer Chris Mannix, who is locked inside the NBA bubble in Orlando, Florida. Why do he go to the bubble and what kind of journalism will win out there? All that plus David guesses a strain pun headline and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, the big media figure of the weekend was Chris Wallace, who interviewed Donald Trump on Fox News Sunday. I want to dissect the interview with you because I'm interested in Chris Wallace and the sort of unique corner he staked out in a media universe that hates Fox News, but greatly admires him. Let's start with the most widely trafficked clip from the interview. Donald Trump claimed that Joe Biden said he wanted to abolish and defund the police. If you know anything about politics, you know Biden has very famously sidestepped the whole abolish and defund business. But listen to how Wallace handles
3: it. And Biden wants to defund the police. Sir, he does not. Look, he signed a charter with Bernie Sanders. I will get that one just like I was right on the mortality rate. Did you read the charter that he agreed to? It says to nothing
4: about defunding
3: the oh, police. Oh, really? It says abolish. It says, afund- let's go. All right. Give well, me, you, you, me the, you, the charter, please. All right. Demis, but, uh, you've got to I, start studying for these. He articles. says defund the police. He says defund the police. They talk about abolishing the police. They talk about illegal I, I aliens. pouring. I, I, I look forward to seeing that.
4: Well,
5: uh, you know, you must say he's willing to go toe to toe on a matter of fact. Uh, it's, it's interesting that he's I mean, it's interesting that I mean, that you can see Trump sort of like shrinking under the pressure, although it's not that much pressure also under the noonday sun or whatever. But but yeah, I mean, this is this is a uh, I mean, it, it, what, what are we what are we getting at here? Is he that he has Trump lined up?
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, one, you have to have confidence in your prep, right, right. to know that within that Biden, Bernie Sanders pact, there is no line that says abolish or defund the police. Mm hmm. Because if you're wrong, Trump's large adult sons are going to put the clip up on Twitter oh, yeah. and declare victory and say, ha-ha, dad, clown the MSM. He wins. Uh, you know, They tried to lie. But you see that Wallace is totally prepared. So it's like a gift from the TV interview gods for Trump to be saying, well, bring the paper over here. I'm going to find it, right? right? It's like the David Frost force ghost is just smiling at you right now. Like You got him, right? So let's just set it up. Let's just let's just let him do it. And, and, and fast forwarding just a couple of seconds through the interview. Here is Trump reading from the paper, presumably the Biden-Sanders policy pact, trying to find the words abolish and defund.
3: So let's see okay, what this says say. here. Prosecution, sanctuary cities, incentivize illegal alien, expand asylum Abolish immigration detention. No, uh, That's not what I will find. OK, this thing is many pages long. Fine. End prosecution of illegal border crosses. Support deathly. And these are the worst. Thing. Sir, I'm, I'm not centers.
4: I'm not disagreeing with you on any of those. I'm disagreeing about defund police. Incent- the White House never sent us evidence. The Bernie Biden platform calls for defunding or abolishing police because there is none. It calls for increased funding for police departments that meet certain standards. Biden has called for redirecting some police funding for related programs like mental health counseling. I think the
5: only way Wallace could have uh, one upped him better is if he had just if if he had come prepared with like a pink inflatable version of the policy paper that they had both signed. So (laughs) Trump Trump waves it over and he just has to like comb. He has to just pour through to something that looks absolutely ridiculous to be holding. But I mean. We would think that it would, I mean, you, you it, in another situation, I feel like we would be raising our eyebrows at the, uh, you know, whoever had failed to prep Trump sufficiently on this point. But I think what the president has proven over and over again is he's often just completely Teflon in these situations. And somehow, I don't even know how to break it down. Maybe he was just caught unaware is because of the, because of the network. But he seemed to be, he seemed, he, he was caught flat footed on this when he wasn't he wasn't Trump or Wallace was somehow able to get him off guard.
2: Well, we we always talk about how Trump kind of lives in this Fox News created feedback loop. So there is a supreme irony <laughs> that if you are in this feedback loop where you are, are absolutely certain that Joe Biden is for defunding and abolishing the police, that you should then walk into the trap on Fox News mm-hmm. on the same channel. Yeah. Um, and you see how skillfully once, once he commits to the fact that it's not just that Biden said this, which Trump could just claim, even though Biden's never said it, but the fact that Trump is committing that it is in this particular policy paper, Wallace absolutely knows he has. Um, I think one thing, David, about TV interviews with Trump is often we can't decide what we want out of them. We, we either want the interviewer to just confront Trump and basically have an argument Or we want them to kind of skillfully maneuver Trump into revealing information or saying a potentially damning something or other. Sure. Wallace is one of the few people on Sunday that I've ever seen do both at the same time. Hmm. And I think that's part of the skill of this interview. Listen to this exchange. Trump and Wallace talking about renaming military bases that were named after Confederate generals.
3: The National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, you have threatened to veto it because in the bill, and this is supported by Republicans as well as Democrats, it would
4: rename army bases named for Confederate generals. Now, this is a bill that funds military operations, it gives soldiers a pay raise. Yeah. You're going to veto no, that? because
3: they'll get their pay raise. Hey, look, don't tell me this. I got soldiers, the biggest pay raises in the history of our, Understood. Of our military. I got soldiers, brand new equipment, brand new jets, brand new rockets, brand new two point five trillion. I did more for the military than any president that's ever had this. You're office veto this because now? I think that Fort Bragg, Fort Robert and Lee, all of these forts that have been named that way for a long time, decades and decades. But the military and says they're Excuse for me. This. Excuse me. I don't care what the military says. I do. I'm, I'm supposed to make the decision. Stop, stop it right there for just a second, Erica.
2: Perfect interruption, right? Mm-hmm. Trump is Trump is going. F- full filibuster there he interrupts him and trump says who cares what the military says?
5: i don't care what the military says well you know you can't overstate uh, or uh, how again teflon trump can beat these things but i don't care what the military says would be the i didn't order the code red of this of this campaign <laughs> in any other cycle uh we'll see oh we'll gosh. see if anybody can you imagine
2: remembers joe that. biden with that soundbite mm-hmm I mean, it would, be, it would be absolutely deadly. And by the Wait, way,
5: just, I'm sorry, you're damn right. I ordered the code red. Sorry, I got that totally go. backwards
2: <laughs> At, on a ringer podcast. We need to make sure we have that wording. Absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> and By right. the way, Trump, 15 seconds earlier, David, had talked about getting pay raises for troops. Mm-hmm. And we suddenly got to the code red like 15 seconds after that. It just literally doesn't make any sense. Anyway, Erica, please continue with that uh, clip. I'm supposed to
3: make the decision. Fort Bragg is a big deal. We won two world wars. Nobody even knows General Bragg. We won two world wars. Go to that community where Fort Bragg is in a great state. I love that state. Go to go to the community. Say, how do you like the idea of renaming Fort Bragg? And then what are we going to name it? You're going to name it after the Reverend Al Sharpton. What are you going to name it, Chris? Tell me what you're going to name it.
2: Really weird drop of uh, Al Sharpton's name in there. As people pointed out on Twitter, uh, sure, just a coincidence that Donald Trump picked a notable black civil rights leader to throw in there.
5: I mean, that's just nuts.
2: Yeah, but I it, again, I think that answer, it's subtle, but I think that answer comes from Wallace, right? The skillful interruption that pushes Trump in one direction, then you let him talk and then you get to the Al Sharpton soundbite. I mean, to me, to me, that's again, it's subtle, but it's easy to botch that it's easy to come in at the wrong moment to do too much or too little. And he did just enough. We should say this about Chris Wallace, David, whoever occupies the role of Fox news. Truth teller (laughs) is going to get rave reviews, right? You get like a 30% bonus. Shep Smith, Carl Cameron was in this role because whenever Chris Wallace like says something about Trump on Fox. It allows liberal Twitter to go, huh, look, even Fox News has had to admit that the Trump administration has gone too far.
5: Well, and it also allows Fox News viewers to say, uh, look, we're not, I mean, look, we're, we're even handed, you know I mean? So it kind of cuts both ways. I guess that, that statement that I just made cuts both ways. I'm not trying to make it seem like that's necessarily a negative, um, I do wonder if, I mean, are we supposed to look at Chris Wallace, obviously, in the context of this interview? And, and he does, he does pull off great interviews like this about once or twice a year. And I find, we find ourselves talking about him, but is he technically the, 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 the champion of Fox News truth telling, or is he just the interim champion after Shep Smith relinquished the title? Like, did he, did he, <laughs> has he earned it to, to I mean, is everybody, is he undisputed at this point? Did this interview seal the deal?
2: Well, he is big enough to host a presidential debate as he did in 2016.
5: Yeah, but he's not always a truth teller. It's not all it's not. He's not. I mean, I don't know that uh, Shepard Smith was had a much smaller platform, but but was the undisputed champ for a number of years.
1: But I agree with
5: you. I, I think that in some ways, I mean, listen, Wallace has always been. Has never been a has never been doctrinaire in any sense of the term, and certainly not in any sense that you would define the Fox News ideology. Right? He did seem to be. He has seemed to be comfortable trafficking in some of the more conspiratorial aspects. And not, not that that's overstating it. He believes in the liberal media bias. I believe. I, I guess that's that's early. He professed that. He seems to be fairly. I think even for the people that are that are that are cheering him on on Twitter right now, he's he's certainly much more comfortable with his place literally on Fox News than some would like. But, you know, for someone who is it's hard to find a lot of like damning intel on. It's not like he's a truth teller in the way that like I mean, like, I mean, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the YouTube truth telling highlight reel that Shep Smith did.
2: Yeah. And I and I think that's partly because of his format. Right. Mm-hmm. It would come more through an interview. Like this one, tough questions, good prep, good pushback, rather than like, I just have a essentially a news or talk show during the day where eventually I just am mad as hell and can't take it anymore. Sure. Which is more of the Shep Smith thing. You're right. No, that's totally right. And one thing that's interesting about his Twitter cheering section, right? Is that Chris Wallace is very purposely not a resistance hero. He sure. came from network news. As you said, there is a sense about him that he was, that he is uncomfortable with the way a lot of news about Trump has tweeted. Michael Grinbaum in the New York times had a profile in June where he says, quote, Wallace has scolded mainstream journalists for showing anti-Trump bias, a big mistake in his words, but he's really trying to be like Tim Russert, right? Bring me a politician of any stripe and I'm going to grill them on the air. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do, right? That's his form of, it's not Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, truth telling. It's not Chris Cuomo because it's certainly the volume is turned way down. But I feel it's more russert than anything else. And that's sort of what he's trying to carve out.
5: There is a sort of, uh, I don't know if it's really an old school element to his presentation, but there's a yes, kind of a smarminess to it. Well, I don't I mean Tom Skoka might have to adjudicate that definition, but like a <laughs> smugness to his overall presentation that is, feels a little bit old school, but there's, in a world in which certainly the people that are, the other people on his network or the other people, sorry, the other Fox, the Fox News personalities who are getting this sort of interview opportunity, interview opportunity are so far to the obsequious side of the spectrum that it is impossible to even compare them. Right. Um, even those other mainstream media personalities, you know, I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, the other people on his level do are, don't evoke that sort of old school I mean that that smugness, you know. I mean George Stephanopoulos might be a smug person, but his but his on screen personality is not smugness in the way that Chris Wallace he, like that he puts this thing off. And I don't, and I'm not saying this as an insult. Uh, first of all, a little bit of smugness is totally fine by me in yeah. almost any situation. But also check in out this, the press
2: box podcast.
5: <laughs> in this situation in particular. I think it's a sort of a subtle it's a subtle knife, you know, I mean, that he can use that. He uses his demeanor as a sort of cudgel against someone, particularly someone who, who has a really high opinion of
2: himself. To me, it's a very network news vibe, an mm-hmm. old school network news vibe. And it's one of the, one of the funny things you and I have had parts of this conversation a couple of times is that network news as a kind of, you know, big tent thing that everybody watches does not exist anymore mm-hmm. like it did when we were kids but the network news vibe is very useful. Sometimes Mm -hmm. Brian Williams for all his fabulism gives off a very useful old school. I'm the anchor here vibe. Right. And sometimes like on an election night or even on his show at, uh, on MSNBC, you're like, I like this. Mm -hmm. I I can like Chris Hayes, but sometimes I want to be in the hands of this particular media figure. And that to me is exactly what you're talking about with Wallace, right? Something very assured, Something very unflappable. I'm not going to get into this giant like rock'em sock'em robots battle with you, uh, Mr. President, and yell at you. I'm just going to be completely confident in my skin, in my prep, and I'm going to go right back at you.
5: And you mentioned you mentioned Russert earlier in terms of being willing, being willing to go toe to toe with whoever's sitting in front of him, no matter what the political stripes, whatever else. But Russert, in that sense, is really the opposite, right? I mean, it's he's that's the that's the other side of the coin, and and the Russert, literally and figuratively rolling up the sleeves, sort of uh, uh, on screen personality, has really won the day in modern media, right? I mean, there's a lot more heirs of Russert out there when you look around, including you know a lot of those primetime hosts of bo- on both sides of the spectrum. And Chris Wallace definitely stands out from the pack because he's got a little bit more of that buttoned-down vibe.
2: Maybe it's not Russert, actually. Maybe it's more Ted Koppel than Russert. Yeah. Because Koppel, I think, and I, and I don't know whether either of these guys would find that a compliment because they both worked at ABC News at the same time, <laughs> but they, they had, to me, that same manner. You know, uh, Mr. President, with all due respect, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was a little softer than Russert, Russert's theatricality. Really good point about this interview by Michael Sokolow, who's an academic and writer on the media. I saw this on Twitter. He says, everyone's pointing out Wallace's success interviewing Trump, but nobody notes the single most important reason it worked. The interview wasn't live, which limits stonewalling and evasion. The two best Trump interviews, Leslie Stahl and Wallace, both taped. That's a really good point because not only the clip we saw earlier where Trump is allowed to sort of look at this paper and then Wallace comes back in the narration. There's another one, which we won't play here, but go look it up if you want to, where Trump was sort of filibustering about coronavirus mortality rates and brings out this chart, right? Mm -hmm. And if it had been a live interview, I think he would, he would have been allowed to kind of like bring the point to a stalemate. But Wallace again is allowed to add narration after the fact that like, actually this chart is incredibly misleading.
5: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Leslie Stahl, uh, it was a really good point in comparison. But before I was e- I even was even thinking about her, that voiceover that, that Waz was able to use in this interview made me think of 60 Minutes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that, it, that's exactly, I mean, that's the, uh, who knows if they invented the form, but they've certainly perfected it. And the idea of, as a culture, we don't really give a shit about anchors, about news anchors anymore, right? I mean, we don't watch the, the CBS evening news and say, as as a culture, to be and listen to them and to be our voice of truth, right? I mean, we we get our truths from different sources, unfortunately, now. But there is a very but there is a there is something powerful about that, I don't know, ringing the There's a there's a Pavlovian reaction to like, hey, that's 60 minutes. This what what they're doing means he's saying the true thing. Mm-hmm. Right? The way that voiceover comes in is just like like A margin note from the editor coming in saying like you know whatever like that's an asterisk that you have to acknowledge as truth
2: (laughs) that's totally true it's at least to people of our age group i wonder if younger people have that same pavlovian reaction but you and i sure do Mm -hmm. um maybe trump's biggest argument at this stage of the election david is that biden doesn't have the mental acuity to be president Mm. this is something he says over and over again he said it in the interview that aired sunday i want you to listen to chris wallace Parry that point. Who is more competent? Who's got whose
3: mind is sounder? Biden beats you in that. Well, I tell you what. Uh, let's take a test. Let's take a test right now. Let's go down, Joe and I will take a test. Let him take the same test that I took. Incidentally, I took the test too when I heard that you passed it. Yeah, how did not you do the hard, Well, it's not the hardest test. No, but it the is, last- It has a picture and it says, last, what's that and it's an elephant. No, 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 you see, that's all misrepresentation. Well, that's what it was on the web. It's all misrepresentation. Because yes, the first few questions are easy, but I'll bet you couldn't even answer the last five questions. I'll bet you couldn't, they get very hard, the last five well, questions. Well,
4: one of them was count back from
3: 100 by seven. And let me tell you, You couldn't answer. You couldn't answer. All right. What's the question? Many of the questions. I'd get you the test. I'd like to give it. But I guarantee you that Joe Biden could not answer those questions. Okay. okay? Uh, And I answered all 35 questions correctly.
2: Did you hear that really subtle (laughs) where he said count backwards by seven from 100? And you just really like lightly on the tape here Wallace, say 93.
5: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. uh, Yeah. No, I mean, I can't. I really thought he watching it live that he was going to go in for it right then and just be like, do you know what comes next? Yeah. I mean, it's just um, the fact that he got Trump to like go into squabble about that on something that again, that's available online. And you know, people watching are going to be like, Oh wait, I can Google this and like take the test myself. Trump has no, if if Trump doesn't realize that he's speaking to a online test taking uh, culture, then I, he, then he's, he's, he's as well as lost this election. He doesn't, he doesn't know he's talking to at all. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough argument. I mean, it's 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 a really tough line of attack for I mean for Donald Trump, and it's certainly no matter how do I say this, the, Trump's most effective lines of attack are not going to stand up to scrutiny. So I don't know that he needs to be going in on this test. I thought it was a mistake for even, him to even go in on in his in his rally, but he's much, he's he's better off just saying look at this dodo and laughing than trying to compare the two. Right? I mean, the last thing he wants is to set up a sort of like presidential decathlon you know i mean we don't
2: we don't need odyssey don't, of the mind yeah the i said. I mean listen campaign. i i said
5: repeatedly four years ago that hillary clinton could have won the election by challenging trump to a push-up contest i mean it's like it's there there's <laughs> trump is a very impressive person in a lot of ways until you actually have to compare him to anybody and that's you know i i, I don't think he catches the second half of that
2: since we're talking about wallace and fox news can i just check the status of the liberal bias uh detector over here for just a second sure joe biden had been in that seat and wallace had done a similarly skeptical tough interview that touched on tara reed's allegations that touched on the crime bill oh,
5: if, if, if if he had been in that seat yes okay
2: would how much of the twitter cheering section would still be intact at the end of that hour-long interview
5: Oh well, I mean that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that well, I think Tara Reed's a little bit is maybe a little bit of a touchy subject.
2: He um, probably would have come. He probably would have brought it up. Oh, you know? he a
5: hundred percent would have brought that up. Would have brought that up. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think it's fair to assume that that there'd be a lot less. There'd be a lot less. You know, rooting for him. But I think that has as much to do with. I mean, it's about expectations, right? I mean, certainly the people who are rooting on Twitter are probably are largely politically anti-Trump.
2: That's what I mean. There's a situational Chris Wallace fandom here, right? Yes, it's
5: situational, but it's also but it's also a matter of we don't expect anybody to be called to task in 2020. You know, I mean, you would one would be people were surprised when Obama did the Super Bowl interviews with Bill O'Reilly and knowing that that was like probably a pre-negotiated softball platform like no other you know i mean but like it's people don't expect anything like that so to see somebody g- who's given the opportunity to interview the president or a presidential candidate you know theoretically put their career in jeopardy by asking these questions i mean i think that's what we're cheering for right
2: i think so i think so and as you say it's rare partly because of the decline of network news i think his figures in there, right? And there's all these safe harbors for politicians to go on. That kind of confrontation is pretty rare. I'll leave you here, David. As a child of the southern United States, how much did you love the cicada noise <laughs> oh my gosh. that was playing over <laughs> part of the interview?
5: The soundtrack of my life, man. Uh, we got those like crazy in Louisville. I mean, and those were, that was uh, both my dreams and my nightmares go to that place frequently. Those that That's a very very evocative noise. I'm glad that Trump decided to go sit out in the boiling heat just so we could that could be a part of the interview. I still don't know why that happened. We were chatting about that before we came on. Yeah. There had to be something better than like it looks pretty out here that would that would lead someone to make what could be just a categorical misstep.
2: As also a child of the South. That looks like the kind of day where you'd be like, why don't we eat lunch outside? It's beautiful. And then you'd have like two sips iced tea and be like, you know what, let's go into the air conditioning. All right, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, David, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they will always be gratefully received. David, have you noticed the Trump campaign's embrace of voters? boaters. Boaters
5: like, voters or boaters?
2: Uh boaters, people that own boats. Trump tweeted, "Love our boaters, love our country" recently. There have been boat parades throughout the country to honor Donald Trump's birthday this summer. A Trump campaign email noted, and and this is where I have to say I am not making this up. Ain't nobody running through a brick wall to vote for Joe Biden and he certainly won't be having a boat parade anytime soon. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, as political scientists know, elections are decided by the median voter. (laughs) I like that.
5: Oh, that was nice.
2: Elsewhere in Trump world, the president's social media guide, Dan Scavino, tweeted a video, David, that included a song from the band Linkin Park. Turns out Linkin Park was not into that. The band, quote, did not and does not endorse Trump nor authorize his organization to use any of our music, they tweeted. After trending on Twitter, the social media service removed the video. It was an overwrought Twitter joke to write, they tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it didn't even matter. Thanks to Bacon in Jungle for that. And on Friday night, David, I don't know if you noticed this, but noted nonfiction author Susan Orlean went on a drunken Twitter binge. Uh, just one example from the author of The Orchid Thief, quote, okay, a newborn cult rocks it totally, and he thought my hand was his mom. It was not. He has tasted life's infinite tragedy. As I mentioned earlier, I am inebriated. It's an actual example. Tons Fantastic. of great jokes. The perfect COVID Times novel has been written, and it is Susan Orlean's Twitter feed right now. <laughs> When I used to drink, I always thought I was the type of drunk Susan Orlean was tonight, but come to find out, I was wrong. That was actually a Jason Isbell tweet, by the way. <laughs> and my fave, I just want to know how many glasses of wine it took for Susan Orlean to become the new drill. <laughs> if you're waiting for Tad Friend and Joan Acocella's drunken Twitter binges, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, time for the notebook dump. In a I don't know how to put this other than we have reached a very, very weird moment in the history of sports writing. And to illustrate that, I want to give you one tweet from Andrew Greif who covers the Clippers for the LA times. This
1: Where is, is this going? is a
2: tweet from a sports writer in the summer of 2020 can confirm that Montrez Harrell has left the Disney world bubble to tend to a family matter, but is expected to return per a source with knowledge of the situation. Sham Shirani was first as of now. The Clippers have one center known to be in Orlando, one center known to be. I was trying to figure out over the weekend, nothing wrong with the information in that tweet, but just the wording of that is so summer 2020, it hurts a center known to be in Orlando. We are not only covering an NBA restart. That's in the bubble. We are in this weird sports writing bubble where we're trying to do a couple things at once that I think are interesting. I wrote about this last week. On the one hand, we're covering a restart that's pretty obviously fraught, flawed, impossibly flawed, you might argue. Mm -hmm. But as sports media people, and this includes David and Brian, we really need the sports restart to work. Yeah. Because if it doesn't work and sports gets canceled again, we're screwed. It's true.
5: It's true. And listen, there've been a lot of podcasts or at least a handful that I've listened to featuring reporters who are inside the bubble. Um, our boss, Bill Simmons did one last week. There is a limit to uh, how interested we are as a culture in what life's like inside of the bubble. Right. It's, I, I don't think, I don't think the best podcast interviewer, uh present company possibly accepted. will are going to be able to turn a weekly interview with, anybody who's in there into the audio big brother or something, you know, I mean, it's just, there, there's, a, like we need the sport <laughs> right. to happen is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Uh, to, to, to keep our interest up.
2: The media navel gazing can only go so far. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think we've like, we've been lucky enough to have through the summer. If lucky is the right word, like a couple of big transaction things, right? Like Tom Brady going to the bucks being the biggest. But all those hinge on sports actually happening. I mentioned this in the story last week. Like, Tom Brady of the Bucks is a great story, but only if Tom Brady actually plays football for the Bucks.
5: Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and it's also, I mean, it probably, we can get into another, a, a much deeper, more irritating conversation about modern media. But like, even if it were someone of this caliber of Tom Brady who was not Tom Brady. I don't even think that would have been nearly the story. If the only conversation this summer had been about, I mean, if if Cam Newton had signed with the Bucks and Tom Brady had stayed with the with the Pats, there there's just a limit to how much I mean to, to how interested we could be without actual games being played. You know, I mean it's it's a it's a totally different thing.
2: Yeah, and it's you know sports writing in our lifetimes has become so transaction based. Yeah, and so we've been able to create so much daily content around those things, that it's like, oh, but wait, the games do have to happen, right? Transactions can become outsized in importance and sometimes more important than the actual games that happen, but only if the games are actually still played. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At some point, that stops. The other thing that's been so striking about this moment from a sports writing perspective is sports writers just have not been able to do their jobs in the normal way, thanks to all the protocols put in place by the coronavirus, before, before the coronavirus, I should say. There was a scene at uh, Yankee Stadium during practice the other day. Giancarlo Stanton hits a line drive. It hits Masahiro Tanaka, Yankee pitcher, in the head. Okay. Tanaka goes to the hospital. But because sports writers can't go in the locker room, the Yankees get to pick the two players that are going to talk to sports writers. And guess what? They didn't pick Giancarlo Stanton because why would they, right? If, if he's not forced to talk, Right By writers coming to crowd around his locker and be like, "Hey, that was a terrible thing. How do you feel about that?" He doesn't have to talk anymore. Mm-hmm. All these interviews or almost all of them in baseball so far, have been handled on a zoom call. You thought the NBA podium was kind of awkward during the playoffs. Imagine the sort of zoom call thing where everybody's sort of waiting to for their chance to ask a question. Yeah, super, super weird. Um, so that's there. You know, everything is going to be long distance. It'll be interesting to see what we get out of the NBA bubble. Kendall Baker writes an Axios newsletter, and he had this point the other day, which I thought was really smart, which is that in this kind of new weirdo sports writing reality, the players have become even more of the content creators than they were three months ago, six months ago. Sure. Which is to say that, like, you've seen all these, like, videos coming out of the NBA bubble. We've written about them and talked about them on the ringer. All of a sudden, that has kind of replaced sports writing even more than it already was, and you sort of have to wait for the player to make a video to get news or whatever we call that from the player, him or herself.
5: There have been a lot of ways in which uh, you know sports media has been insulated a little bit from. Tra- the tragedy has befallen the rest of the media world over the past decade or so. And that's, and they're certainly not impervious to all the technological changes, but there's certain things like, yeah. you know, the hu- humanity's need for gamers that will, <laughs> that, that, that have, that have survived. I mean, that have allowed them to survive in a slightly different way. I think we're now in even more of a race to see who can win the SEO battle to post CJ McCollum's Instagram photo than ever before. Like that's it. That, I mean, that's really where we are. and, um we need sports we need that's why that's why we need sports
2: well i would say that we were we were already you know back in january we were already there in terms of posting racing to post cj McCollum's twitter photo or instagram photo and in a month we're going to be even more in that place because you know we have what like a like a dozen nba reporters total in orlando they can get one-on-one interviews as we'll hear in a second here from Chris Mannix. Um, but they're not going to get many of them. And basically the entire rest of the NBA press corps, Ringer staffers included, are somewhere else at this point. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know how much we're going to get. And, and the other thing is, you know, baseball starts up this week. Most, I would say, at least of the first round of ESPN baseball announcers, are not going to be at the stadium. They're going to be calling the game remotely they're going to be watching a slightly more souped up television broadcast than David and Brian could watch. Yeah. And calling a game from there. So it's like, it's almost like sports media in absentia that is happening. And again, I'm, I'm fascinated. I wish it weren't happening this way. I certainly hope, like I said, that sports happens because I don't want everybody to get laid off at the same time. If we do this from afar, I'm really interested in seeing just how much actually changes Mm -hmm. because I'm kind of thinking it's not going to be as much as we think it's going to be. Again, I'd rather the writers be there and have all those tools at their disposal. But I kind of think what they come up with is going to be fairly comparable to what they'd come up with if they were at a stadium.
5: Uh, I think definitely in the short term, I think it's a lot more feasible. I will say this. It's a lot. It's very feasible in the short term that you're right. I think that, that on some level, and maybe I should be leaning more on advanced metrics than on the eye test. But I think on some on some level, I mean, on a deeper level, there is something to be lost over time about that sort of detachment. But right now, I, I, I fear that you're right.
2: Well, let's not abandon this train of thought because we've got a correspondent in the NBA bubble in Orlando. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Chris Mannix writes for Sports Illustrated and hosts the Crossover Podcast. He's been in the NBA bubble in Orlando for a week, and you can tell because in a video Chris posted the other day, you could see the keyhole of the door of his hotel room behind him. Zoom calls used to be about bookcase credibility. Chris is making them about keyhole credibility. Thanks for being on the press box, Chris.
4: Uh, The blandness is what i go for. Some people try <laughs> to get the unmade bed. I just want you to see the the keyhole and the blank wall.
2: Can we get that little notice where you have to check out by noon that every hotel posts, you know, right by the door? I think you could really mess with this.
4: I think anyone in this bubble now is anxious for the proverbial checkout. You know, they <laughs> they are ready and look, we don't want to sit here and pretend like it's Shawshank, but you know, you're you're in a room and you're just kind of climbing the walls a little bit and you everything going on around you you obviously want to get to and start getting to practice i'll tell you like i i've signed up for like six practices to go to on the first day so i'm just ready to to get rolling
2: so a couple weeks ago when i was talking to basketball writers about whether they wanted to go to orlando and quarantine themselves in this bubble long term the two things that they were worried about was one getting sick themselves and two, leaving partners, spouses, kids, parents for an extended period of time. How'd you work through that stuff?
4: It was pretty easy for me. Uh, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So it was, you know, the circumstances were decidedly different from a lifestyle perspective. I mean, I've, during the playoffs, I kind of, ordinarily, I just basically block off, you know, 20 plus days a month to be on the road anyway. So if you're, gonna cover a postseason, I mean you might as well do it without the travel. It just takes one layer of inconvenience out of it all. Uh, the health issues certainly were were something to consider initially, but I don't have any kind of pre-existing conditions and no no medical issues and going down there. And I you had to believe that regardless of whether you think the NBA bubble is going to work or not, and regardless of whether you think, you know, of the state of Florida at the time You're going into a place that is attempting with every possible measure to be the safest place on earth, basically. So I couldn't think of a more safe place to be as far as avoiding coronavirus than inside this bubble.
2: The other concern in writers' minds, while they're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be something for the history books. This is going to be something to to have witnessed, to have been there. The question was, what am I going to get? Because we know you know, sports writing over the next several months, maybe more than a year, is going to be restricted from what we're used to. What did you think you were going to get in Orlando?
4: Yeah, th- this was something that I went back and forth with, with my editors, with the league, just trying to really ascertain what kind of value there was going to be. Now, you can get one-on-ones with players and coaches down here. That obviously has value. Uh, how often players are going to be willing to do it? Still up in the air. Uh, what level of player will be willing to do it? A lot of that comes down to your relationship with the team and the player. There's nothing to do necessarily with your access. So that was number one. Like I, I felt there was value in doing that. But you know, kind of coming up. I-, I mean, I didn't. I came up really as a magazine writer. I, I you know worked at the Boston Globe you know in college. But um, my entire journalism career has basically been spent at Sports Illustrated. And, you know, I just, the guys I read routinely and fact checked routinely in my early days, whether it was Jack McCallum or Chris Ballard, Ian Thompson, great writers, they wrote Scene really well. And and Lee Jenkins did the same thing uh, a little later on when he came to SI. And I think that's something that you're going to get incredible value at. Like, you're, any game you want to go to, you're going to be 10 feet from the court. And not only are you going to be 10 feet from the court, you're not going to have the the background noise of crowd to stop you from getting the kind of uh kind of stuff that you would you'd be able to get. So I thought there was incredible value to writing like a daily sights and sounds kind of piece. Like you can you know you put stuff away when you're trying to write a magazine story which I will in the next few weeks, but you know every day just kind of writing what you see because there's only I believe 10 of us inside this bubble. Everybody can't be everywhere. So you know, if you just can, can write, you know, what you see, I think that presents enormous value to the reader, to the viewer who are not going to be able to just go anywhere to a blog or whatever to find out what's going
2: on inside the bubble. That's so interesting because I think if we were in a press room, an NBA press room in normal times, we'd look around and say, OK, that writer really good with agents and and that writer's really good with sidling with players, just going up to LeBron's locker and getting something that they can store away. And that guy's really good at, at like advanced analytics and metrics and that kind of stuff. But you're saying that scene because there's such a small group of people that just looking around and scene is going to be the skill or one of the skills that's going to be big in Orlando.
4: I do. And I think there's enormous value in it for a reader trying to really understand what's going on. Now, I I think there's a, you know, it's it's funny as I've been thinking about this a lot, like what I'm going to write, how I'm going to write it. Like, you also don't want to risk burning a player by just writing that he was cursing out another player on the court, like writing something so mundane that, that you you have to balance out your relationship versus the kind of the information that you're providing. But 90 plus percent of the time, like what you see, you know, what a coach says, what maybe you can even hear something going on in the huddle, like in the moments before see something going on in the huddle. I mean, it's, it's a, the, the main arena is just a pretty big arena and you're going to be able to, to see and hear so much from that vantage point. I mean, I, I vaguely remember the days when you could sit courtside and, you know, some arenas still do it, but get that kind of access uh, regularly. But I mean, living in New York for as long as I did, th- there was no point for going to Knicks games like Nick, the Knicks that nowadays put you up in the rafters. You're better off watching on TV. This kind of access the things you're going to see and, and
2: hear and re- be able to report on, I think that's going to have tremendous interest to a reader. So how, how tolerant do we think players, coaches, officials are going to be by you quoting what they say on the floor? Because we have the <laughs> Sam Darnold example, I think, from Monday Night Football, which is actually one of the underrated media moments of the last couple of years. Because as soon as we heard what players were actually saying on the bench, Mm-hmm. The Jets and coaches were like, uh, we're done with that, never, never again. How how much can you push that? Do you think
4: it's a good question? And I think you just got to be by feel. Like you, if it's something relevant to the game, like let's say if LeBron is walking off the court during a timeout and says something like, "I can't, I can't see anything. I can't get anywhere. Like they're they're bottling me up. They're, like stuff you wouldn't see ordinarily. That's fair game. If it's just like. LeBron cursing at J.R. Smith for lack of a better example. Like that's maybe that's something the kind of pitch you sort of let go by because you still want to, you know, maintain relationships, you know, with these players and with these teams. So if it's if it's related to the the outcome of the game, like the Sam Darnold example, like he's seeing ghosts out there, that's relevant to the the game and how it's being played. If it's relevant to the game and how it's being played, I think all that is fair game.
2: All right, so let's talk about your journey, if that's the right word for it, to the NBA bubble. You start in Boston, fly to Orlando. Was this your first flight since the coronavirus took hold?
4: Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it was early March when I last flew and like most sports writers, you're on a plane at least half the month, it feels like, whether it's, you know, easy trips between Boston and New York or going somewhere else and it was it was a strange feeling, you know, getting to the airport and just seeing all the changes that they have in place, you know, the socially distance markers, uh, and also just little things like, you know, seeing the flight board, which is usually packed with, you know, 50, 60 flights going off at one time. There's maybe 10 or 12 on that board in Boston. Uh, I flew on Delta, which flies, I think 60% capacity each time. And, you know, you've got a whole row to yourself, you know, drink service is basically just handing out bottled waters for the entire flight. And, you know, I, there's you, you take a lot of precautions when you go and and do something like that. So it was all mask all the time for me.
2: And there's a car waiting for you in Orlando that basically delivers you to the bubble. And you've been in your hotel room for a week now.
4: Yeah. Once you once you land and clear the gate area in Orlando, you become part of the NBA machine. Right. They have uh, somebody waiting for you. I took was in a car with another member of the media and you know, they took us to the Coronado Springs dropped us off. We get our, our wristband and basically we're whisked to our hotel room and told under no circumstances are you to leave the room. Uh, If you need drinks, they will bring them to you. If you need ice, they will go get it for you. Um, They're, they're very diligent with all this. The only time you're really supposed to open that door are the three times a day. They bring food and the once a day, when three technicians show up to give you your your daily COVID test,
2: <laughs> and you've been taking this every single day since you've been there, COVID test
4: every day. You get it. It's funny. You get it on Sunday, and you know the things are. You know the, it's obviously a work in progress uh, down here. But you get it on Sunday, and you're told that uh, if it's all clear, you get an email. If there's an issue, you get a phone call. So the first day, like I've seen some of my colleagues here, Mark Medina from USA Today, you know, tweeted out like a picture of his email, like saying like, I'm all clear. And like for two hours, I'm sitting in my room like, holy shit, like what, is this a problem? At that point, I've effectively mentally given myself every COVID symptom possible. Like I'm like, oh, there's a cough and, and maybe I have a fever and all that. So there was some lag time there. I finally got an email, like it was 11 p.m. that night you know, giving me the all clear. But that was after I sent several text messages and emails to to the PR officials that are here, like wondering like, is that call coming in soon? Is there an issue? And that was
2: that was nerve-wracking for sure. Now you said it's not Shawshank uh being there in the bubble. And thank you, by the way, for using the correct reference on a on a Ringer podcast. We appreciate that. <laughs> um have you found that a lot of the kind of personal interaction you would have had with basketball people, whether it's coaches, players, is that just all migrated to text? And do we think that's all just gonna kind of go into that realm for the time being?
4: Yeah. I mean, there's... So it's interesting. There's... For the most part, yes. The answer to that is yes. It's interesting. It will be interesting in the coming weeks to see what kind of interactions you can get. Now, the best example of what could be possible is golf, right? Like, we're, I guess, not supposed to be playing golf right now. Um, I know a lot of different coaches and even players that I could play golf with if we are given the all clear by the NBA, but I think for the moment they want, I think for the moment they want to make sure that media members are not taking up time that could be used by players and coaches. So if in the next, I I think it's more of a guess on my part. I think in the next couple of days, if it turns out that golf isn't as popular as they think they'll let media members go out there and play. And look, I suck at golf, but I wouldn't mind playing with, you know, certain coaches and, and players that might be down here just to, you know, it's just to talk, just to talk about what you know their experience has been like, and and see if you gain any kind of insight into what they're they're
2: going through. And that's not normal, right? During an NBA season, that you would be able to get a bunch of rounds with with people, is it? <laughs>
4: I, I mean, God, I play golf a couple of times in the summertime, and. In, honestly, in preparation for this and anticipating this, I did hit the driving range a few times back in Boston when it started to to warm up, uh, to, just to see if I could get my game on a <laughs> level that's not embarrassing. But no, you you wouldn't. You'd I can't even remember the last time I played golf with uh, with an NBA type or at least an executive or a coach. And so it does present like an opportunity where you're alone ish with a guy or guys for you know three four hours maybe. And and there's definitely value in doing that.
2: One complaint I hear all the time from basketball writers is about over credentialing journalists in a locker room. It's not just, you know, tough questions, right? It's that NBA players find themselves surrounded by people, this crush, especially in a playoff situation. Do we have any hope because there are so few of you down there in the bubble that these guys will be a little more giving a little more interesting, a little more in their answers just because they're not facing such a giant mob? Yeah, no,
4: I, I hope so. Um, I, I, I think it all depends on you know, what kind of access that you're going to get in these either small group, not even small group, one-on-one situations. Like, it's been made clear to us, like you can't just walk up to a guy after practice and hold a tape recorder in his face. In fact, like, one of the things that came up in one of the early calls was, you know, just how do you record an interview? Like if there's no table, you know, you're going to be six feet away. It's some like my record doesn't really pick up a lot. I mean, it picks up some, but it'd be tough to kind of get exact word for word from six feet away. Is there, can we guarantee we're going to be sitting at a table? So I think a lot of it's going to depend on, on the logistics of it. Theoretically, I, I hope so. I do think that there's, you know, there's an over credentialing in locker rooms. It makes it difficult to, to get things done. I think it's, just as bad now on these zoom calls, because I mean, guys aren't even looking at the guys aren't even looking at faces though, like not, a, but over credentialing on the calls guys can't see your face. So if they're just kind of sitting there looking at a camera, it's, it's kind of challenging to get anything more than a stock answer out of them. So the hope is that in talking to people individually, you'll get a little
2: bit more out of them and a little bit more than just the, these stoic kind of standard answers. Yeah, I, I think the Zoom call thing has just turned everything into a podium interview, which, yeah. you know, in the playoffs, we just do podiums, right? You don't, for a lot of the big stars, you don't see them in the locker room. And that's bad because podium interviews generally suck outside of a few, like, basics about the game.
4: Well, let, let me say this. Let me say this. I'm I'm less down on the podium interview than you are, especially in the playoffs, because, I mean, locker rooms have expanded. They're bigger than they used to be, but they're still not enormous. And you're still kind of, if you're trying to write something, you know, if you don't get in front of the guy right away, it's occasionally difficult to even get a question off. Mm-hmm. At least with a podium interview, like you're going to get your question and you're going to be able to look at the guy. Like LeBron's great oftentimes at podium interviews. I-, I think he he gives some really good answers at podium interviews. And and that's, I think part of that is because he kind of sees you, he's looking at you, he's engaged with you a little bit. You know, he doesn't, you know, oftentimes he'll, if you ask a bad question, he's not going to give you an answer to it. I like that about him. Um, so I think there's, there's more value in those podium interviews. These zoom things, they're just like looking dead ahead and, you know, there's just really no engagement to, to, it's just a zombie version of, of the podium interview.
2: It's really funny. I saw one the other day and Buster Olney, it was a baseball one. There was a box marked Buster Olney, but the camera was off, you know, and it's just like, this is beyond, (laughs) beyond parody. The, um, do you worry at I, as I do it all that while we restrict Access for good reasons during the coronavirus that some of this access will not come back when the virus is gone i do I do worry about that um
4: and look, from an nBA perspective, they've been adamant that it won't go away. I can't speak for other sports, but the NBA has said that when this clears, whether it's the start of next season or you know whenever it it becomes safe, that we can go back to doing everything that we've done because. It might seem trivial to some people, but, you know, being especially for me pregame is where it's at like postgame, whatever, like it's there is value to it, um, certainly as crowds dissipate during the regular season, you get to a guy, but pregame, you know, a guy hanging by his locker is a good chance to to get to know him a little bit. And the NBA has been vocal in saying that it's going to come back. I just have to take them at their word at this point that it that it will. But that's a genuine concern that, you know all right, this all works, let's do it all via Zoom. Yay, hey, guess what? Nobody has to come into a practice ever again. That, that doesn't really fly with, with 99% of the media out there.
2: All of us sports writers, and especially a busy sports writer like you, have had four months where we've essentially had a sports cleanse. You know, We have not had the kinds of things to chase that we normally would. Has that made you look at the job differently at all? Have you entertained any, any thoughts about your profession? That you might not have had time for in in so-called normal times,
4: you know it it's it's given me a greater appreciation, I think, for you know the I don't know if the value of live sports, but like the the job is so predicated on live sports, obviously, and seeing what's going on around the country with you know sports properties, including my own, you know, cutting staff and people losing their jobs, it's just. You know, I mean, look, there's a lot of flaws with this job nowadays. Um, You know, you have to do 15 different things as opposed to maybe one that it might have been 20, 30 years ago. But doing it like kind of getting back into it and getting able to write about Ben Simmons moving to power forward or, you know, LeBron losing another guard like it just stuff that might have, I guess, seemed monotonous to write about the time I'm just maybe more eager to write about it right now, like anxious to to put, you know, proverbial pen to paper and write, you know, you know, how is, how in the world are they ever going to replace Rajon Rondo? Like, how is that gonna Like, even if you're a little <laughs> hyperbolic in that, that kind of writing, it just, it gives you a, uh, an appreciation
2: for, for just how good these jobs are when, when you're able to do them. It's funny, isn't it? Is Ben Simmons playing out of position is like the most incredibly normal piece of NBA content, but now seems actually exciting. I can't wait to write that. I, I I'm dying to
4: see it. Like that's the first scrimmage I want to go to you know I'm like you know looking up shake milton's stats and watching old clips of of him and how is he going to play that's a lineup they've never used it's it's just uh the mundane has become really interesting at this point and I hope it stays that way I think it's going to be uh it's going to be wild out there I I tell people all the time like I'm the one thing I'm betting against is chuck like we're not going to see bucks versus lakers I don't mm-hmm. believe that I think it's something incredibly unusual is going to happen, whether that's because of a coronavirus issue or because of something else. I think something wacky is going to happen down here.
2: We're talking to Chris on, on Sunday, and he's less than two hours away from being able to leave his hotel room for the first time in a week. And roam was the word you used with me. Okay, so before we go, what is your roaming game plan today? What do you hope to possibly get out of roaming around the uh, facilities there?
4: I think I wouldn't mind you know, bumping into somebody, you know, it's just anybody that...
2: Figuratively, not literally. Figuratively,
4: yes. yeah. Figuratively from a social distance, bumping into somebody that I haven't seen in a while, you know, whether it's a coach or a player or... And, and I look, I think day one, it's about getting the lay of the land of the campus. Like, one thing that terrifies me, and we had a briefing on this on Saturday, is like, look, there are, are clearly marked areas where you cannot go. Like, here is the boundary. Like, you cannot leave this boundary. Like what terrifies me is if I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go for a run and actually run past the boundary. <laughs> Am I like Bruno Caboclo or rishon Holmes? home? So he's sticking me back in quarantine. So it's like, I think day one is like, all right, let me find my spots on where I'm going to try to work out, where I'm going to get my coffee in the morning, like just the basics of, of this campus. So I don't screw it up. So I don't become that guy that gets reported and has
2: to wind up back in quarantine. I really hope Malika Andrews and Mark Stein aren't calling the snitch line, you know, to report that you've uh, you've been seen outside the bubble. That's that's one way to winnow out the competition, let me tell you.
4: I'm telling you, there are, you know, I know there are coaches that are calling the snitch line. Like, they're, like, I, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if it's going to become gamesmanship at some point. If, like, you have a snitch coach. If, like, there's someone on your staff, you, like, look around, watch, make sure. If you see a guy walk outside the boundaries, and if he's playing on a team we might play, like, is that become part of of the games? I, I've heard coaches joke about it. I have not, I, I don't know if they're actually serious, if they'd actually use the snitch line to report somebody for a violation. I'm, I'm not sure yet.
2: Chris Mannix, you can read and listen to his bubble diaries from Orlando at Sports Illustrated. Chris, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right, it's time for David Shoemaker Guesses a strain pun headline. Woo! Thursday's headline about a bird that bit the Brazilian president was re We got welcome, votes.
5: Welcome to the REASISTANS. I really yeah. I, I killed I died on that one.
2: We got votes for reality bites. <laughs> pretty funny. And even more skillful, blame it on Rhea. <laughs> Since it's Brazil, that's pretty great. Today's headline comes from Srinivas Murthy. It's from the CBC up there in Canada, David. Kind of a sad story. Hmm. A couple in British Columbia opened an arcade stocked with classic 70s, 80s, and 90s games. Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Street Fighter. The kind of place you and I would be hanging out if we lived in British Columbia. Absolutely. Then as the popular headline goes... The coronavirus hit.
5: no. Oh, and now no. the
2: couple, yeah, I know. So now the couple's cool arcade now has mask regulations and you have to disinfect the games, which kind of takes some of the romance off. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a headline here that plays off the classic Nintendo Entertainment System game franchise. What was the CBC's strained pun headline? So Super Mario Brothers? Is that what we're doing with it? Is that where uh-huh. we're going? The, the
5: popular franchise? Okay, so yes, Mario... Sir. Super Mario... Uh,
2: this is very strained. I'm just going. Uh,
5: super, Not like Super maschio Brothers or Super... Uh, <laughs> no. Super, that's very strange. I mean, I, um,
2: Super... Bro- brothers is the word you're going to want to have fun with here. Uh, brothers... Super brother, Mario... Su-
5: no. That's good, he, though. He's not heavy. He's my brothers uh uh okay um brother Does, is, is am, am i going for like you. a coronavirus thing here it's like a uh, um,
2: just kind of more like a like a word oh, for oh anno-
5: oh oh uh, oh brothers where art thou
2: no super mario blank oh. and it's it kind of means annoyances let's oh, say oh
5: super mario bothers <laughs> super mario <laughs> that's it super, super, super mario <laughs> i've been watching super mario the
2: bothers super mario bothers <laughs> is the answer that's really the answer? Inform. Yes, I'm great to inform you. <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario bothers. gonna I'm just going wow. just just to put a pause in here. <laughs> he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Alveda. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. We're back Thursday. I don't think we have anything to plug. But hey, why don't you share the pod? Should we ask people to share the pod, David? Do We've it. never actually asked this in the history of the press box. Do we get one of these? Yes, we do five stars share the pod i'm just just repeat all the all the things you've heard other more competent podcast hosts ask you to do we'd love you to do that we really would appreciate it because if you do we get to come back with more lukewarm takes about the media see you then david
5: see you brian